Modern Rock for Cincinnati and Date 97X, that was Young Fresh Fellows with Amy Grant, New Order and Blue Monday, and we got things started off with Flaming Lips and She Don't Use Jelly. Uh, coming up at the top of the hour, we'll join the Baker Man live at Camelot Records on Princeton Pike, right across from Tri-County. He'll be broadcasting live in celebration of the new Porno for Pyros release. He'll have tickets to see the Indigo Girls at Riverbend, some 97X flag, including some box knives, can koozies, and if you're lucky, a rare 97X umbrella. Dave. So I can't wait. Dave. Dave. Yeah? No, I, I, none of that stuff. None of it. Absolutely none of it. Camelot Records? Yeah. They're huge. <laughs> They're opening up stores. You know, CDs are the wave of the future. Dang. I think it's great we're going to be there live with 97X and the Baker Man. Well, that, that will be good. Yeah. No, but it's not going to happen because we're in 2019. Yeah. And we're in my basement, the mm-hmm. party dungeon. Yeah. And we're talking about the good old days. I can understand why you would want to go back in time to your time at 97X, but no, we're just doing a podcast about it. Because uh, Aaron Bournes is there now. Does he know that this is not a real station anymore? Oh, yeah. I think he does. Aaron is joining us right now. It is Aaron Bournes. Hey, How are you doing? Hey, guys. I, I was hoping that it was, in fact, live, but my understanding that it is, it is not. So you didn't show up at Camelot Records right now to help out as part of the big, massive promo machine of 97X? Julie had asked me to stop by, but I, I realized that it was probably not a, not a wise move. Now, Aaron, uh, we always ask all of our guests, thank you for joining us. You actually reached out and, and, and stumbled across the podcast. But give us your history at 97X. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on. It's, I, I and appreciate you guys doing this. It's been really fun to listen to. And um, It was actually, uh, when I went back and was sort of looking to see when I started, it sort of struck, it kind of blows my mind how it, my time there had such a huge impact on me, but I wasn't really there that long, which is kind of stunning, actually, to me, knowing how how many memories I have being there. I started as an intern, obviously, Damien, with you and Rick on the morning show, which I see I very generously listed as a co-producer role on my resume some years ago, which I think was a gross overstatement. That was in 1993, and I was I worked with you guys on the morning show for, I guess, about six months or so, and I'm ended up doing some weekend air shifts, I think, like in was it March of 93. And then in middle of May, uh, Doug hired me in the infamous answering phones up front role. And I was assisting Phil, I think, actually. Um, I, was, I, I, I said anyway that I was assisting the program director for a time, and that was Phil, who was always so, so kind to me, and doing a lot of work with Julie that summer. And then it was around, I think, February of the next year that I left to go work for RCA Records um, as a result of you know, sitting up front answering all those phone calls from record reps for all that time. Well, you're building your resume or, or lying on your resume. Yeah, you, you were man. saying you're a station yeah. owner. I mean, they that's had more padding than most mattresses have. Come on. Co-producer, <laughs> assistant program director. That's okay. It probably served you well when you got into the record biz. Yeah, well, that was certainly a, a, a certainly it did serve me well. That's well said. Getting into a music promotion, that uh, working in the gray area certainly served me well. <laughs> well, when I look back at your tenure there, one thing sticks out more than anything else, and it was you that got us to play "Flaming Lips." She don't use jelly, isn't that correct? I have a certain I. I 
believe that I did play a part in that. And I'm very, I, to this day, I'm a huge Flaming Lips fan. And, uh, I, I think that that is the case. I know that there was some reticence at the time to play that record. And I was a huge fan of Turn It On. And, um, I believe that that is the case, which I'm very proud of. I'm still a huge fan of Flaming Lips fan. There, you know, Phil maybe didn't like it, thought it was too quirky or something, and it was playing on gridlocks, and, and you finally started, uh, you know, doing the Chinese water torture to get it to be played, and then it took off, and three weeks later it was number one on the People's Choice Countdown, if I remember. That, that, that sounds about right, which actually, in retrospect, I can't remember when Damien gave me the keys to gridlocks occasionally, which was one of my favorite things in the world, when Damien actually allowed me to do that here and there. Um, and I do believe I was sort of, I probably was overdoing it on flaming lips on gridlocks, but I was, if that, if there's truth to that story, I'm very proud of it. It seems, that seems about right. So I, I think I, that actually showcases your ear for, you know, talent. And then you use that. Tell us a little bit about your post 97 X career in the record business. Yeah. I, I went to, um, I went to New York to basically, it was sort of a paid internship for a guy named Thomas Westfall, who was the head of alternative promotion at RCA at the time. He brought me in. It was amazing. I'd never even been to New York before. And um, he brought me in to work with him. And I uh, eventually ended up getting a proper, a real job assisting in the alternative and rock promotion department. And as it turned out, Thomas left, and I ended up working for Ron Poor, who, you know, who was known at 97X as Jetson. I never really knew him as Jetson, but I ended up being um, Ron Ford's assistant at RCA for a long time, purely by chance. And then I ended up working as a college radio promo guy, which was a lot of fun. And then short, maybe a, I don't say six to eight months after that, I ended up moving to Boston, becoming the local promotion guy up there, which was a ton of fun. You know, being in Boston at that time, that was the mid-90s back when, obviously, the heyday of real commercial alternative radio and I got to work with you know some of our other stations that we considered to be partners in arms and WFNX, WBRU, WQX. So I got to work with some of those stations which was really a thrill. And then I moved back to New York after I think three years in Boston and started working in the marketing department at RCA and did that for I'm going to say about 15 years, 14, 15 years um, which was a thrill. I got to work with um, Foo Fighters and Dave Matthews Band and Jimmy World and a number of, we'd say, bands that had ties back to the station. And then about a year ago, after almost 25 years in over at RCA, I've actually just moved to Kansas City and I'm working in professional soccer now, which has been a pretty awesome change. Now, are you a goalkeeper? Are you a wing attack? What are you? I'm a fifth. I'm a uh, a fifth string goalkeeper um <laughs> so don't see the don't see the field a lot but i'm all i'm all i'm always at the ready now if you're doing marketing for them is there any way you can get a yellow or red card for a marketing director <laughs> of a soccer team um <laughs> i guess i'm gonna play now yeah <laughs> You're the second person I know that worked in the marketing department for a soccer team. Rick Tile had a job before 97X doing that, and he worked for the best uh, team. It was the Stoners. And I can't think of what city it is. He'll come up to it, but it was the Stoners. They had a quarry, is the reason they're called the Stoners. Seems like a Rick thing. Yeah, very much so. 
So Aaron, <laughs> like, so in all your time, so when you were, like you mentioned, like you were in radio or record promotion at a, at a very mm-hmm. active time for college radio. So talk about that. What was your day-to-day like when you were doing that? You just call on the stations, try to set up in studios. Talk us through that a little bit. Yeah, that was a that was really it was really just trying to get our trying to get our records played all over New England and um it was uh it was all really all of those things. It basically represented the label. It was at a time back where there was a, there were there were distribution branches for all the majors all over the country. So we were owned by BMG at the time and BMG had a branch in Boston and I worked out of a BMG office in Boston, but I was the only RCA employee that covered the entire New England region. So yes, I was calling stations looking to try to get records played, setting up interviews, um, you know, running artists all over all over New England to do those interviews. And from, as RCA was concerned, that was a time where we had we were really just starting to get our legs and we actually had a lot of fantastic or very successful artists at the time after a number of down years. Um, so it was a really it was it was a really thrilling time. And to have it all basically on your shoulders for me is like a 24, 25-year-old guy was stressful, but it was a lot of fun. It was really boot camp. It was music business boot camp is really what it was. Did you give them 97X promo CDs as payola for these radio stations? (laughs) I did not. I did not do that. I kept kept anything from 97X uh, for my time there is safely tucked away in a box that I will cherish. Well, I was going to ask you, uh, since you were a part of our gigantic promotions department at WXY 97X, uh, that had, uh, I believe, a three-digit um, budget, um, what, what was the biggest <laughs> thing? And two were behind the decimal point. <laughs> That's right. What was your favorite promo item we gave out? I, uh, this is probably, part, not that it was the craziest one, but I was because of who it was and because it happened while I was there. I, have, I still, I think I have a box of those Porno Papyros matches, which is, I think, a really safe thing to sell and save in dry, dry storage. So hopefully that's uh, <laughs> the that's entire come up box a lot. of dry Porno Papyros matches. We did a lot of matchbooks over, over the course of our time. <laughs> I don't know what Julie Maxwell was thinking, but it was matchbooks, again, I'll bring it up, box knives, <laughs> and some sort of Sinead O'Connor-like Coke mirror. It was really this strange. <laughs> I have them all, and I'm like, what, the, what are we promoting here? 97X. What the hell is this? What are you talking about? The future of rock and roll. So then, yeah. when you when you did marketing, you said for fifteen years. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that was a that was a that was really I realized where my heart was in music, and that was the probably the simplest way to explain it was you ended up becoming sort of the manager for the artist within the label. You know, you'd be the primary contact with artist managers. You put together their their marketing campaigns, you know, album by album, working with management to do so, and you're really leading the charge for for each respective record or really for the artist's overall career within the label, working with everybody, working with the entire company basically to sort of harness the power of the label to, to, to drive and release records and drive artists' careers. And I feel grateful to be able to say that that, was, that job for me was really everything I ever could have hoped to do because you felt like you'd be able to play such an integral role in artists literally developing their careers 
with everybody. And I was very fortunate. RCA, once we, like I said, once we got over that hump, it was a, a just amazing group of people working at that company. Very, tons of music heads, and we just did a lot of amazing work. So it was fun to, you know, it was fun to be part of it. Pretty awesome. That is cool. So a question for you now in 2019 in a Spotify streaming world, you know, like what is the role of record labels? It's fun. After after being out of it for a little over know, a year now, um, looking to see what's going on on the label side, it's, uh, it's nice to see that it does. I mean, it was really, when I was leaving, when it was really starting to turn, you know, that it looked like the streaming model would work. There is a real model there. I mean, as you guys know, there was so much contraction and so much doom and gloom and so many sort of bad things happened in the music business. It got so much smaller that um, it's almost like it was ready for to turn a corner. There wasn't a lot of fat, a lot of wasted money and resources for such a long time that as streaming started to get its footing, you can see that there is value there. And the truth, you know, it's just... It's a new it's a new model. There are new gatekeepers, new things matter. And I think that labels that do good work and good faith and um, can put together um, the right kind of deals with artists, I know for certain that labels can bring a ton of value um, to artists. And it seems like it's like like I said, even in the course of the past year since I've been out of the business, you can see how that's paying paying dividends for a lot of artists. Yeah. So I think in, in summary, to recap, from your time at 97X, you learned how to run gridlocks, you learned how to promote artists, you learned how to acquire promotional items, and you also learned how to dog sit. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, I did. Um, yeah, I, I actually didn't, I hadn't remembered that until you emailed me that, but I definitely did do that. Um, one of the many, one of the many gifts that Doug and Linda gave me, um, was the ability to do that now. And just full disclosure, I actually didn't get my own dog until, until about six years ago. So I need, I had to, needed to have kind of a low period there before I was ready to take the plunge. <laughs> Cause quite trauma to you. How are you going to follow up with uh, Moxie? I do have to, I don't want to forget to say, I actually have the, uh, Doug's bay luggages in my office and in my office here in Kansas city. And, uh, which is fun. I've brought that with me, and I still have it. I have it sitting in my office today. I'll tell you the one that I like best is about the audience. It's if you don't have the audience, it's like one hand clapping. Yeah, that was on. That's true. And he was he was nailed it. It wasn't about us. It was about them. I have to say one other thing. The only thing is, Damien, do you remember you gave me a car? Uh, wait, did I give you the the gray one? What did I give you? You gave me a you gave me your old Honda Civic. You bought. Because I was remember we were we were roommates and I was working at the uh, country club up the street. Yes. And uh, you bought, as I recall, anyway, you had a very old gray Honda Civic and you bought a new one and you gave me your old one. Well, uh, let's let's be clear. You called it gray. It was primer colored. Then somebody had <laughs> stripped the original color off of it and then never got around to painting it. Which meant I got a real sweet deal on it when I bought it. And then, yeah, I wound up buying yeah another very similar Honda Civic. And then I had paid nothing for it. It was worth very little. So you're welcome. Yeah. Thank you. I, I, I've never forgotten that. It's still, 
still makes me laugh. Thank you. Well, uh, so I'm assuming that if I go to a Kansas City Monarchs game, I'm going to be in the VIP suite. Well, yes. I mean, absolutely. He'll be the guy trying to kick for the half-million-dollar goal <laughs> through the small little hole in the, in the thing in between, in between breaks. I believe we called right. it the silver sled. <laughs> That's right. And then didn't you, like after, didn't you just abandon it at the golf course and they used it almost as like another golf cart? <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, something like that. <laughs> and that's my kind of course. It has an old Honda Civic as the golf cart. That car is probably still <laughs> running. Well, I, I do want to bring up that we do have uh, the president, uh, former president of Atlantic Records, Aaron Barnes. We appreciate him being online. And he'll be live at the Camelot Music in Princeton uh, Plaza coming up here in about a half hour with Bake. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think you're confusing him with Artie Fufkin no. from Polymer Records. <laughs> right here, just kick my ass. <laughs> kick my ass. Well, by, by the way, I believe Aaron will have the new 97X vape pens. Uh, we'll be giving away some promo vape pens today at the Camelot Museum. Wow, we are really up to date with that stuff. These, we've upped our promo item game. I love it. And now here's some Tori Amos at 97X.